I'll tell you, we had a great time at VBS. As Pastor Peter has said, uh, I remember uh, standing down there and having the children there on Thursday. And I had an opportunity to ask them if they wanted to become Christians. And, you know, what was beautiful about children is that they're so honest. They're so open about their relationship with God. And so one of the things I asked them, I said, who's in charge in your family? And they said, my mom. Some said their dad, but most said their mom. Then some said their parents. I said, well, who makes the rules? They do. Do you ever break the rules? Yeah. Well, who's in charge of the whole world? God. Does he have rules? Yeah. Did you ever break them? Yeah. Well, you know, the Bible says that means we're sinners. But you know what? Jesus came to forgive us for our sin. And you know, their eyes were just riveted on every word that I said. And then they just, I said, do you want to receive the Lord in your life? Raise your hand. And I'm telling you, so many of them raised their hand. And later on, we talked to parents and they came home and they said, I believe in Jesus now. I'm a Christian. And it made a difference. And so I want to praise God for all those that volunteered and did this VBS. You know, we could go across the ocean to, do, uh, to, to spread the gospel, but we can spread the gospel right here. And I think there was at least 15 kids that came and received the Lord. And so praise God for that. Amen. You know, we all have a problem with sin. That's what the Bible says. We all have a problem with sin. And ever since Adam and Eve, we've, had a, and we've inherited a sinful nature. And because of it, you know, we often do things our own way instead of responding to God's love the way that we should. You know, sometimes we don't act or think the way that God wants us to. And, of course, he calls that sin. And, you know, even as Christians, we understand that to be a Christian, we have to be born into God's family and receive the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we need to follow God. But even in that, if we're honest about it, we fall short of what God is calling us to do. Isn't that true? I mean, if we're honest about it. You see, we all fall short of God's ideal in many ways We hurt people, and we offend people, and people offend us, and it affects us. And today I want to share with you, we're going to go through a series of messages about deepening your relationships. And one of the things I want to propose to you is that sin is primarily relational. Sin is primarily relational. So that's today's big topic about how sin is primarily relational. If we don't understand that, then we might think that just by obeying some rules, we could possibly have a great relationship with God. And, you know, the Bible says that the law of God was given as a mentor or a tutor or a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So God has given us his laws. He's in charge. He's given us his rules so that we could know what's right and what's wrong. But more than that, that we can understand and know the depravity of our own sinful nature. That we can't keep up with what the law says. There's just no way that we can fulfill it in our own human effort. 
But there's some people that look at this different ways. And I think there's two ways that a lot of people look at it. Some people look at this truth and they understand, yes, you know, I am a sinner. And they humble themselves before God. Just like those children did this week. They humble themselves before God and they say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need you to forgive me. I want you to come into my life and change me. Because I need to be transformed. Now, they don't use the word transform, but you can. Say to your neighbor, I need a transformation. Say to your neighbor, I need a transformation. I need a transformation. And now, say to your neighbor, yeah, you do. You know, and other people, they just think, I'm just, I'm pretty good. You know, compared to... Bobby and Susie over there. I'm a pretty good person. I don't really need a transformation because actually I'm quite successful. I've got things together. I'm doing okay. I mean, God, really? And so they live their lives apart from a relationship with God. And Jesus would often confront people like this. And uh, it wasn't so much that they were living apart from God, but they were trying by their own human effort to be pleasing to God. And this was the thing that Jesus had a problem with because he understood that religion is never enough to bring you into a relationship with God. Obeying the law is never enough to keep you in a close relationship with God. So we pick it up, and we're going to look at this story. I know it's very familiar to you, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of that. But I want us to see some of the background and the intent of what was going on during that time. Jesus had just, in Luke chapter 10, had just sent out the 70. And he sent them out two by two to various towns, and they came back. And he told them to preach the gospel to people, to pray for people to be healed. And they came back all excited, and they said, Jesus... All, everything you said is true. Uh, we, we prayed for people. They were healed. And, and people came to know you. And it's so exciting. And, and even demons came out of people. And he said, don't get so excited about that. Be excited that your names are written in heaven. And then he said to them, he said, you know, this is. And then he prayed and he said, Lord, I thank you that you've revealed this to little children. The wise and learned have, have been blinded to it. But you've revealed this to people with childlike hearts that would receive it. And so the next thing that Luke reports in the gospel is he says on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this Luke says this guy was an expert in the law. He had studied the law of God all his life. He was known as an expert, one of the top religious people in that area. And so his, you know, he was known as being somebody that could understand the laws of God. Now it says in Jewish custom there were 613 commandments that the Jewish rabbis had gotten out of the five books of Moses. And so they had listed them all, and they understood all of those. They had memorized them. 
And then on top of that, they had put other traditions and ways to obey those laws and written those in a book. And this expert of the law had memorized that. He had memorized the 613 commands. He had memorized it all. He knew. And so if somebody had a problem with, hey, uh, lawyer, you know, uh, Joe, Joe the lawyer. Hey, I've got a problem. I've got to do this on the Sabbath, but how many feet can I walk and not break the Sabbath? And so he would tell them. They would tell them how many feet you could walk to get water, how many feet you could walk back. And so they made all these rules so that they wouldn't sin against God. And this guy was an expert. Now, it also says here he, he stood up to test Jesus. Now, back then, when you were a rabbi, you sat down. I think we should try that someday. I'm going to sit down, and then you guys are all going to stand up and listen. And you're going to pray, and it'll be a short message. But this, and, and during the uh, time in the first century, a rabbi would sit down, and then a student would stand up, and he would recite, usually, what the rabbi has taught. And then he would understand, if he, he understood what the rabbi was saying. But this expert in the law stood up, and he was going to test Jesus. So Luke gives us the intent of his heart here. This man was calculating. In fact, he was an expert in the law. He knew all the law. He probably thought he knew it better than Jesus did. And so he was going to test Jesus. It was like a chess match. And he had thought through the moves and the questions he was going to ask Jesus. If he says this, then I'll say this. If he says this, then I'll say this. And then he says this, then I'll answer this way. And he had gotten it all together in his mind. And so he leads off with this big question. What must I do to inherit eternal life. And he must have been thinking, you know, I got it made. I know the law. I keep the law. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus, being such a great teacher, answers his question with the question, well, what is it written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And so the man said, oh, I know the answer to this. I've heard Jesus talk about this. He says, he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with strength, with all your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, you know what Jesus said? You've answered correctly. And so the man says this. So he says, but he wanted to justify himself. And so Luke gives us more of the intent of this man who came to Jesus. He's not coming sincerely to want to figure out how to get to heaven. He already thinks because he's a Jew, because he was born a Jew, because he's memorized law, because he's done this and gone to temple and made the sacrifices and everything else, he's done it all. He's good enough to go. And so he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So we want to know if Jesus really understood the law. Because in the tradition of people back then, you only had to love, really love, Jewish people. You didn't have to love the Phoenicians or the Syrians, and especially not the Samaritans. You wouldn't even want to talk to them. In fact, some of the, the laws back then and some of, the, some of the narratives that are written back then in the first century said Samaritans were dogs. 
you would refer to them as dogs. And in fact, it's said that a Samaritan, a Samaritan could never make it into heaven because they weren't purely Jewish. They had mixed blood with other uh, Gentiles. And so Jesus understands where this guy is going. And I think it's just fascinating the way that Jesus tells a story and tells a parable to reveal a spiritual truth. Now, Donna, we, Donna Baptiste was here last week. She told you a parable of the master at the banquet. And here's another parable that Jesus tells. And he wants to get a spiritual truth right down into the heart of this man. And so he begins to tell it. He said, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now we understand, because this man was coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho, he was most likely a Jew. And being a Jew, he had gone through this narrow passageway on the road to to Jericho. And outside of there, there was also these places. It It was a very narrow road. There were cliffs all around. People would hide in caves. They would come out. They would beat up people. They'd rob them. And usually people, uh, what I read in some um, commentaries was that people wouldn't actually beat you up unless you resisted. So this man must have really resisted. And they beat him up so bad that they left him half dead. So he's totally unconscious. He's lost everything. He's laying down there next to the side of the road. And then it says, and then Jesus goes through this. Everybody's got, he's probably got everybody's rapt attention because, okay, what's going to happen next? Okay, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Now, a priest, this is an upper-class person. This person has prestige, and back then in Jesus' day, Caiaphas, the household of Caiaphas, they were well off. They had houses, they had lands, they had money. If you were in the priestly family, you were well-to-do. You would be like a senior pastor, okay? And you're walking by, and, and you are going down the same road, and you see a man, but he passed by the other side. And some people understand this to mean that if you touch... And it says in the law, if you touch somebody that's dead, you're defiled for a week. So what he would have to do is go back to Jerusalem, offer a sacrifice for his sin, and then also go through a purification rite so that he could go back to his priestly duties. So he is probably thinking, you know, the guy is probably, you know, he's dead, but I'm not going to defile myself, so I'm going to keep on going. And so Jesus notices and points out that this man, although he's a priest, he's not caring about the person that is hurt and wounded. The next person comes is a Levite. It's like an assistant pastor, somebody that's an assistant to the to the priests. And so he goes by and maybe he's thinking that, well, I'm following right behind the priest and he didn't stop. I don't have to stop. Why should I stop? I've got other things to do too. Anyways, if I stopped and I picked up this man and helped him, maybe it would show up the priest. And I'd be going into Jericho and he'd say, what? 
Why did you bring this guy? And then I'd have to go back and make sacrifices for myself and be purification rites and all this. So he, he doesn't do it either. So in their minds, they, both the priests and the Levite and the expert of the law is understanding this story so clearly because he's figuring out all the different laws that would have to be taken to be fulfilled for this priest to go and help this guy and what it would cost him. And so he's thinking in his mind. And so Jesus always had words for the experts in the laws and the Pharisees. I don't know if you've ever read some of them, but in Luke chapter 11, in the same book of the Bible, right after this story, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectfully greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. And then it says this, One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you've taken the key away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might say. So right after this story he has with this expert in the law, the other experts of the law also get on Jesus. And now Jesus has the Pharisees and the Levites and the experts in the law all against him. Now I want to tell you that there's a twist in this story. You would think that If Jesus had the priest and then he had the Levite, he would have a layman next who would go and help. The Jewish layman would go and help his neighbor. But Jesus makes the completely, turns the story all the way around. And you know what he does? He puts in, you know, he puts in a Samaritan as the third person walking by. A Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When I first read that, I said, why didn't he put the oil and the wine on first, clean out the wound? But what it probably meant was this guy was bleeding so profusely that he had to stop the bleeding first. And oftentimes, that's what they did. They would bandage the wound first, stop the bleeding, pour the oil and wine over it until they could get to another place where they could take off the bandages and clean it again. So this man does, takes his time, takes the effort, makes the effort to stop and see who this person is. He doesn't know if he's a Jew or he's a Gentile, but most, often, most likely he's a Jew. A Samaritan who is totally um, in that society, one of the lowest of people and disrespected, stops and helps. And he went to him, bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And I find this fascinating, that he took this man, even in as, as he was, and bandaged him up. 
I was reading another commentary, and this was like, and they likened it to somebody in the 1850s in the United States, in the Midwest. An Indian comes across a cowboy with two arrows in his back. So he puts him on his horse, and he rides into Dodge City. He rides into Dodge City, he opens up the saloon, and he carries the man on his back, and he brings him up to a room above the saloon. He spends the night there with the man, helping him get better. And everybody in the town sees what this Indian has done. And the question was, what happened the next morning when the Indian left? Do you think he would make it out of Dodge City alive? Probably not. They would have just assumed that this Indian was the Indian that shot the guy. And if it, even if he wasn't, some other Indian did it, so he deserves to die. And they probably would have hung him right there or killed him right there or beat him badly. So the chance that this man, this Samaritan takes, is he brings this man into Jericho, which was a Jewish town at the time, and he brings him in and he takes care of him. Against all odds, against what anybody else says, He's putting his reputation out there. He's putting his very life on the line, like an Indian would helping a cowboy. The next day, he put out two denarii, gave him to the innkeeper, looked after him. He said to him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for anything extra expenses that you have. It cost him. You see, Jesus is saying something to this man. He's saying to the expert in the law, To really love deeply, it's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your stereotypes and your racism and all the things that maybe you have in your mind, your prejudgments and all those things that we sometimes have in our lives. It's going to cost you to rethink who really your neighbor is. And then Jesus asks him a question, one more question. Which of these men, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the man has to think. But you notice in this story that the man can't even say the word the Samaritan. He can't even say it. Because he doesn't even say the word Samaritan. He said He calls Samaritans dogs. And so what does he say? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, I was thinking about the mercy of God, even as we were singing those songs about the mercy of God. It is God's mercy that we have to understand and experience in our lives before we can love people the way that God wants us to love people. You see, we're created in God's image, but that image has been marred because of sin, and the only way to correct that is to be born again into God's family, become God's child, become filled with the Holy Spirit, and then begin to love deeply as God loves us. But that, a lot of times is hard for us to do. 
because we're used to living our lives the way that we live them in our comfort and in the situation that we're in. Mercy and grace lived out in a practical way is costly. It is. Jesus stretches <laughs> this experts of the law definition of who is a neighbor. You know, if I get broken down, if I'm, I'm, if I'm driving my car and it breaks down alongside the road, you know who my neighbor is? Anybody who stops. That's who my neighbor is. And you know, the people that we stop for, we can be neighbors to. You know, I was thinking about our VBS, and I, and I saw our young people stopping and paying attention to children younger than them. I saw the adults that volunteered do the same thing. And, you know, it was a beautiful picture of people showing mercy towards others. And then to do that with a heart of love is something that God asks us all to do. So what are some action steps in this? If you want to grow deeper in your love for God and in your love for others, what is he asking us to do? One of them is first, humbly ask God to teach you how to love him and others deeply. Now, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says this, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And so Peter says, okay, you've loved one another, but no, I want you to love one another deeply from the heart, from the heart that you have filled with the love of God. I want it to be something deeper than you've ever experienced before and beyond the boundaries that you've made for yourselves. To cross those boundaries. And then he says this, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. And he brings this idea of being born again, or being having a new life, or being changed by the gospel. And because of that, the capacity to love other people is expanded in your life. Second thing is, expand your love list by deleting your dislike and hate list. There are things that we have to delete. Relationships, bitterness, not relationships, but the bitterness in the relationships we have to delete. We have to forgive. And God, God asks us and He challenges us all the time. A lot of times, if we're not deeply in love with Jesus... If we're not deeply in love with Jesus, it can be an indicator that we have a broken relationships in our life. Because sin is primarily relationship. Your relationship with other people will affect your relationship with God. In fact, 1 John 4.20 says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates A brother or sister is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so Jesus puts this equation right here. He says, if you can't love the person next to you, or in your family, or at your work, you can't really love me. And then you'd say, well, who's my brother and sister, Lord? And he'd tell you the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
Is there only people that are Christians? That my no. You got to love everybody. Be the Samaritan neighbor. In other words, Jesus said, go and do likewise. Well, Lord, I can't do that. Yeah, I can't do that either. If I'm honest with you, and I want to be honest with you, there's times in my life when there's certain people that really bug me. You know, we were watching our uh, Sunday school this, this past today, just this, uh, this morning. And there was a woman that was trying to feed somebody in a homeless shelter, and she was so upset at this person because she didn't feel like the person she was feeding was giving her any respect and was just demanding food. And the leader in the, um, the uh, place where they were giving food in the center said, why are you doing it? Because I have to. No, because, but, but why are you giving her food? Because, because I'm supposed to. Well, what's her name? I don't know what her name is. He says, well, why don't you find out her name? Well, why why would I do that? I don't want to know her name. So she's working in this homeless shelter feeding people, and she's upset at them. And he says, what he was trying to do is get her to say, you're not loving. God just doesn't want us to show up and do something. He wants us to do with the heart of love. And this is exactly what Jesus was trying to get across to the expert in the law, to the Pharisees, and all of the people that he taught, and especially his disciples. It's got to come from a heart of love. Well, how do I get that? I get that with my relationship with God. Today we're going to have communion, and we're going to go into communion in a little while. It's a time to reflect. It's a time to examine our lives and say, Lord, is there anything that's keeping me from a deeper relationship with you? And just to come humbly before him and say, Lord, I want to fall more in love with you. And I want to be a conduit of your love towards other people. But I need your help. And Jesus really is the one that can help us. He's the one that provided everything that we need so that we could live a life for him. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us in your house. And Lord, we pray that, Lord, even as we draw close to you around the communion table, even as you've challenged us, as you did the expert in the law, with what true love is, love from the heart, love that is costly. Lord, you've done all of that for us. And Lord, you even say, you will live in us and live through us. So Lord, as your believers, we thank you for all the provision that you've given us. But Lord, would you teach us Teach us how to love the way that you love. Pray this in Jesus' name.